0: Why have I survived? Because I am a creature more devious than all the other me's put together. Because I saw myself bleeding out, and instead of checking for a pulse, I began collecting her things. I survived the desert like a coyote survives, like all tricksters do.
1: Listener, Dukes here, and welcome to part two of our summer reading series here on Upper Middle Brow. Um, We're going to get right into this conversation, but I just wanted to give you a heads up that both Chris and my recordings didn't turn out super well for this one. We both had technical glitches. For those of you who are audio nerds, I was on a trip staying somewhere and I forgot my mic cable. So I had to record with my built-in microphone in a pretty echoey environment. That didn't turn out too great. And Chris had an issue that we thought we had solved where his computer ignored the input from his very nice podcasting microphone and instead recorded him with a tiny little built-in microphone on the laptop. Um, So he sounds kind of echoey too. Fortunately, our guests were super professional and made really beautiful recordings. Uh, they are two former colleagues of mine from WBEZ, Ariane Nettles, who doesn't work there anymore, and Susie Ahn, who still does work there. And we asked them each to recommend a summer reading book uh, for adults this time, not necessarily adult literature, although one of them, yeah, it's it's got some adult themes. Um... And uh, so they're going to just introduce themselves and then we're going to get right into the recommendations. So we're going to start with Ariane Nettles.
2: I am Ariane Nettles. I live in Chicago, and I am a lecturer and the director of audio journalism programming at Northwestern University's Medill School, which is a really, really long way to say that I am an audio nerd there, so I'm really excited to always do more audio stuff, Um, and I am a slightly book nerd. I do a lot of reading, especially um, now that I am also a PhD student. And so I'm really excited to talk about summer reads because I get to go in the total opposite direction away from academic reading, which is really good. Like I've read some really good stuff this year, but this made me think about the purely fun stuff.
1: Well, hold that thought. I want to ask a question about The notion of summer reading, too, which I feel like it's a a concept that comes from, I don't know, high school, you know, for a lot of us. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us adults like keep it. Um, But, uh, yeah, Susie, who are you?
0: Uh, I am Susie Ahn. I also live in Chicago and I am an editor at WBEZ, Chicago's NPR news station. Um, I'm an editor for uh, the Curious City podcast which is where we get questions from listeners and we investigate the answers. Um, and um, I mean, I feel like I'm more of a, a book follower, maybe. I, I feel like I'm rarely the person who's giving the recommendations. I'm more like receiving the recommendations and um, really just following the trends, Same. not a trendsetter. <laughs>
1: That's how I feel, too. I mean, if you notice our podcast, like, I think the average year of publication is, like, 1992, too. <laughs> like, we're, we're not a, like, with it, like, what's the new books podcast. We're like, let's go back and read this thing from 1992. Uh, so I, what I wanted to start with, Ari, you started to allude to this. But I'm just curious, do both of you actually still, is, is the notion of summer reading, like, still a relevant concept for you? in your lives? Like, is is what you would choose to read over the summer different than what you'll read during the other parts of the year?
2: So yes and no, because I think I used to really only look at summer reads as beach reads, you cool. know, like, and I really did used to read a lot of those books, right? Like, The woman left her husband or he died. That's that's usually a common theme Um, or he was cheating on her or he was cheating on her and he died like some combination (laughs) of that. She goes off to um, Tybee Island off of Savannah or she goes to the Hamptons or it depends on how much money she got depends on what body of water she's near <laughs> um, and then that depends on like what type some, of Sometimes she, she wins a prize with. too
1: like I, I like i'm familiar with it like sometimes there's like some kind yeah, of Yeah or like, sometimes
2: she invests right she buys right. <laughs> a little cottage or yeah. mm. she you know um if her if she, if her if she had a rich husband who cheated on her and died though he probably left her a cottage that she never visited or a place she didn't know about right it's all these same themes yeah. and those are very predictable beach reads which i still like but i probably don't read as many of those but those used to be like oh this is a beach read now i do know for me like my summers are slower in a different way. And so I would say that I do read more in the summer. And so I do maybe have time to not push as many things to my to-be-read list in the summer. So I do read differently, but mostly because I got more time. So it's not necessarily just the type. Um, It's usually stuff I would have read anyways, but I just maybe got the time to do it. Versus like for me, for example, I don't have... PhD classes over the summer, so I'm like, okay, well, all these big books I've been reading every week, I'm not reading those, so I'm going to replace those times with other books that I really want to read.
1: Summer is the time you get to catch up on the books you're looking forward to
2: reading. Yeah, yeah, but I definitely used to think that like, oh, I'm going to go on like a beachy vacation and I need a beach book but I actually don't often even get the beach vacations I wish I was having as much anymore, yeah. so. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, Ari, what uh, what are you studying in your PhD program that you're using the summer to get away from?
2: Oh, yes, educational leadership. Ooh, so yeah, those are some big a lot of the, Yeah, and some of them are, like, really good, though. Um, And I would say education is probably one of the only phds you get where it i don't want to say only but it really is interdisciplinary Mm -hmm. so like one week i might be reading a book from mlk another week i'm reading something that's specifically about education another week i'm reading something about social spaces right so it kind of talks about all these different things that affect people in education whether it is like k through 12 or higher education um and so it, it really does kind of run the gamut, but sometimes they're like, well, not sometimes, but most of the time they're really heavy books. And so generally I'm reading like a book a week. Um, not to count like the other articles and stuff that you read on top of that, but it's a lot of reading. That's the time when you want some of
0: those books to hopefully be on Audible so that you can listen at, at twice the speed,
2: right? I know, like, and then, but you then wish. you can well, you know. Or comu- oh, you while can't, you're like, commuting. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Then you can't highlight. So I'll try to Mm. do like the books I love maybe on Audible while I'm commuting. And then when I like sit down, you know, so that's that's when I can sneak in the books that I don't have time for. Mm -hmm. Um, We're such a good student. Yeah. So so the book (laughs) we're talking about today, I actually listened to on Audible because I was so I was so busy and I was so stressed. But it was just such a. Whoo, this is fun you know compared to everything else in my life I'm
3: reading it on uh, on like an e- like an ebook reader and like my first thought was like oh i really want to hear the audiobook of this because <laughs> i was mm-hmm. like first of all this is this is warm <laughs> this is a yes, very yes <laughs>
1: it's steamy I, I read the first yeah, chapter yeah
3: yeah yes, yes. oh
2: oh i read i read the first like 30 seconds i was like hold on hold on let me rewind <laughs> this yeah 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 what just <laughs> happened did what i think happened happened Whoa. And, you know, our good friend Greta actually recommended this book to me. And she's like, I think you'll like it. And I text her, Greta, what is happening? And I (laughs) said, I like it. But I just I was I was taken aback. But I mean, to be clear, I really am enjoying this book. But it just whoa.
1: Greta Johnson is a uh, of Nerdette. Is a sex positive reader. I've seen. I've seen this. Yes, like she, yes. she appreciates a steamy book or a steamy movie. I've, she and she's on record. That's documented on the Nerdette podcast. But yeah, there yeah. is some don't S-E-X. be ashamed of it. Right, yes. right, right, right. So, and also, like, I read the first chapter, and it does start out very steamy, but then you also realize very quickly that it's a heavy book, too. But we're getting yeah. we're getting ahead. We're getting okay. ahead. I want to I yeah. yeah. hear Susie's answer to the summer reading. Like, is that, Susie, is this, like, still a relevant concept in your life, or do you just read year-round the same way?
0: Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of the summer read, like, just kind of what Arya was talking about, like, you know, a relaxing read on the beach. Um, but I've come to realize, for me, it's sort of um, I just want to read a a piece of fiction. And uh, for me, that's not you know, I don't want to read something like a heavy but probably really good nonfiction book over the summer. Um, It could be a heavy fiction read. I know I don't know why that really even matters. But um, for me, it's just sort of like there's a bit of an escape there. And then I've come to realize that's just sort of how I think of reading year round. Um, And then every once in a while, if there is like a a good nonfiction book, I'll read it. But it doesn't have to be summer, winter or whatever. It's just sort of year round. Fair
1: enough. I just, as you both are talking, I'm reminded that probably my, one of my first introductions to this concept was being at the beach in North Carolina when I was probably 16 or so. And both my mom and my aunt would always talk about like having her beach trash, and she would just like go out on the beach all day, sit there, and read a paperback. And they were both reading a book that was called An Inconvenient Woman, which I I think sort of fits both of your, I mean, I think it's the sort of genre that Ariane described me, although it might have been sort of like a romance thriller too, but it was definitely not supposed to be a like hard to read book and definitely its pleasures were not. They weren't purely intellectual. Um, so, Susie, what did, what did you? We've alluded to all of this already. We were already chatting about your book and Ari's book, but will you just tell us uh, what book you chose and give us a short description of that?
0: Sure. Uh, I chose *The Space Between Worlds* by Micaiah Johnson. Um, so, this is—it's a—it's a—you know, on its face, it's a sci-fi novel that delves into the multiverse. And this was before the multiverse was really like this big, cool thing that, you know, is in every movie now. Um, Our main character is this woman, uh, Kara, who uh, is able to jump between different universes. And um, and it's like this technology that in her universe only exists. And basically, when you jump to another universe, you, you can only do that if you're other self of that world is already dead. And Kara is sort of like this talented traverser because so many of her other selves in all the other worlds are dead. Um, but, you know, through this, she she finds, she discovers um, in one multiverse, you know, a secret that kind of connects her from um, her original world and a secret that... ominous ominous music puts the entire multiverse in danger, Um, which, you know, okay, so this sounds like some, you know, whatever, sci-fi novel, but it also, like, just does such a great job getting into commentary about wealth and poverty and privilege and race and resources and just, like, being um, a human that faces a lot of ethical choices and just sort of, you know, you as a person in different situations, would you be um, a terrible person? You don't fully know yourself uh, as much as you think. And I chose it as a summer read because um, to me, it kind of gives like sort of that, that feeling of a big summer blockbuster.
1: Right. right. Like,
0: you know, Marvel Universe, but smarter. And 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 I'm not throwing any shade to Marvel universe I'm I am i have watched all of the movies but it's it um it's that but like just so smart with the commentary and the writing is just so good
1: I read the first chapter or two and the reason that Kara can travel you you explained it but part of what she explains is that on her home world or on the world that she's traveling from People who are privileged and there's sort of the same racial injustice that we have in our world, too. And so I don't remember exactly how she describes her race or ethnicity, but she's non-white. She's a person of color and that she's poor. She comes from a poor family from a marginalized area. And so part of the reason that the other versions of her are dead on the other worlds is because her background is such that she doesn't have a very good chance of living. And, and, and you know so it's just laden with that kind of meaning that you're talking about, race, class, and the woman that she works with, who she sort of has a crush on, can't travel to other worlds because she's from a wealthy background and all of mm-hmm. the other versions of her are alive. And so they have this kind of interesting relationship that's based on like a little bit of flirtation and also this, like, yawning chasm of class awareness. And then the other thing I found really fascinating about this book is this notion of, like, passing and being an imposter. And we learn in the second chapter that Kara is, like, literally an imposter in a very specific way. But then she's also an imposter in other very prosaic ways that we could be familiar with in our world, like the way somebody from a particular class who has become class mobile and successful in another world can feel like an imposter and in fact crafts a new identity for herself. And um, I don't know, I I was, I, I listened to many of the episodes of your podcast, uh, Shoes Off, a sexy, sexy Asian podcast, and it seems like that theme of imposterdom, it, it, it mm-hmm. seems like that's part of that podcast too. So I was just wondering if that was one of the things that drew you to the book too, The sort of, this sense of somebody kind of making sense of being an imposter in a number of different ways.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I guess in a way it's sort of like she takes that idea, but she, uh, it's almost like she does it in a at least outwardly, towards the people that she is relating with or associating with, that she she takes that idea and has such confidence in, like, kind of going about whatever world she's in, in that sort of imposter way. Like, it's not, you know, where whereas, like, maybe imposter syndrome of what we think of for ourselves might feel very vulnerable. For her, I feel like she... um Kara has just such like I uh, I don't know, a command of things where she, it's like she struggled with herself and she knows that. And so she's, she's just kind of like, I've, I've hit rock bottom. How much further can I really go? So she just kind of like revels in that sort of imposterdom.
1: There's no guilt. It's like, I'm an imposter and I'm going to be a good imposter because I need to be an yeah. imposter in order to survive and in order to achieve the goals that I have. And she doesn't, seem to feel guilty, although I've only gotten maybe a third of the way through the book. And that's actually one of the questions is like, is something going to happen to make her feel guilty at any point? I don't know. And and I guess both of you, Susie, Ari's, Ari's read this book, too. So both of you know the answer to that.
2: Susie really hit it on the head when you said the word privilege, because that's the word that I always think about when I'm thinking about this book. Um, because it really was kind of ahead of its time, because The Marvel multiverse hadn't been discovered yet, right? People had talked about, oh, there's going to be probably a multiverse. But it Mm. was before the Spider-Man movie where everybody was like, oh, Mm. no, this confirms that the multiverse is real. The fact that I know that, I don't know how. But yes, so the book (laughs) was before that. And so it's kind of this weird thing where... Just like today or in real life, we know that we could, like, technically feed everybody, but we don't. Um, I don't—do y'all remember—the It blew, the video blew up during the pandemic, um, but this comedian, Vinny Thomas, he did, like, Earth's application to, like, the world galactic—the yes. yes. the universe galactic <laughs> yeah. thing. Yes. And he was asking, like, about— You know, so everybody in the world... you mean you you still
1: have poor people?
2: Right, right. He was (laughs) like, logistics. Because of logistics. (laughs) You want me to write down logistics, right? And so it's kind of like, you know... it's But but also, I think I really like books that don't... um, They make you feel something, but they don't, like, tell you how to feel. And they don't make it... I mean, it's obvious, but it's not obvious in that way, right? It's not like everyone is poor here and everyone is rich here, right? Like you just clearly know by the descriptions on how people live and the opportunities they have, how they grew up and like what their future is or could be. And you just, you know, so it just it just feels really real. I don't think I've read a lot of sci-fi that feels as real as this book. Yeah,
0: and it's just like with like the privilege and resources. I mean, like, you know, you think of the, the people who live in – uh. In the book, there's there's this place Wiley City. That's where everyone with like all the resources and the wealthy people live. And um, people who live in in like the wasteland or like rural areas, you're basically um, you're 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 beholden to the daylight hours. You know, so like you're literally going to get burnt by the sun if you are exposed to the sun outside of Wiley City. And it's like this idea that like you know, that, that means your, your every movement is sort of dictated by where you live, you know, and you have to like, think about like how you can just, just the basic, your basic human movements when you're not in Wiley city where all the resources are. Um, it's just so interesting, like environmental, uh, segment there of the book too, that, that she doesn't quite like, she doesn't hit you over the head with it, but like, just how all of it is just sort of woven together because it is all part, like everything that we have in our lives, you know, it's all woven together and and she just writes it so well into it where it's not like I'm, I'm, you know, in this sci-fi novel, I am telling you about privilege and you must hear that there are these divisions here, but it's just like woven in so well with like the environment of um, where people are living in the book. And, and it's just so interesting to to read that.
3: Well, I I was going to say, Susie, what you're describing, like, we we just wrapped up Parable of the Sower. And that also really plays with ideas of, like, what would happen if, you know, if, if issues of like class and race were sort of expanded beyond what a privileged set of people is used to. And uh, yeah, what you're describing really makes me think of that of that book in the same way. Of like, yeah, I mean, it's uh, what are the what are the things that are afforded to you through privilege or lack of privilege, and what happens when we play with the slider? Like, what when we, like, I think the, the genius of parable of the sower is like takes like 90 percent of the population and is like. This is what it's like to live in poverty, even if you're like ostensibly middle class um, and it becomes, yeah, it's just really, it's an interesting question for these books. I haven't, I haven't read uh, Space Between Worlds uh, just because Jesse and I split this up in terms of our responsibilities for this one. But yeah, it sounds, when, did, when was it published? I'm interested um, to see where Ooh. it sits in the multiverse canon. <laughs>
0: Well, it it yes, it was indeed before uh, the whole Spider Man multiverse thing, and I that kind of makes me mad because I feel like this would be a really great movie, and then this would come out as a movie, and people would be like, "Oh, you're copying Spider Man." Um, I I think this was like uh, twenty, maybe twenty twenty one.
1: Okay.
0: Mid twenty twenty one. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, maybe even twenty
2: twenty.
1: According to according to Goodreads it was August twenty twenty. So that would track. Okay. But I will point out, multiverse is it's an old concept in sci fi, you know, like that that, that concept is an old idea in physics and maybe, you know, Hollywood and Marvel have figured it out. I mean, Marvel Comics were doing it for a long time, but, you know, Star Trek, the original series, which I haven't watched a whole lot, but famously, they would sometimes go to a kind of alternative universe version where, like, Kirk was bad and Spock had a
0: mm-hmm.
1: beard and... Uh, it, I mean, it was sort of like mirror world, you know, like the idea was like, what if the people you're seeing in the mirror are part of their own? But um, it's not like it's a particularly new idea. Um, I I feel like Ms. Johnson, um, she's doing it in a very, very clever way, and she's using it to surface themes, you know, that Star Trek in 1962 wasn't surfacing. So it definitely feels very fresh and, yeah. and new. And
0: I would also say, like, the, like, the um, idea of, like, the multiverse recently is sort of like not just going into one or two other Mm. universes parallel universes but it's like an explosion of universes so like you know in in the space between worlds they talk about how Kara is like dead on like you know more than 300 other worlds Mm -hmm. um and then you think of like uh everything everywhere all at once they go into like a whole you know they they get like zapped into a whole bunch of other worlds and like so this idea of just like you know a true multiverse not just like one or two parallel worlds um and like the chaos of like maybe when there is a point where they kind of converge um I feel like that has become more popular like you know that that's happened with Spider Man, um, with Doctor Strange, which I didn't think it was very good, and so that's why again I didn't feel like man, why didn't you guys you this this book would actually be the much better one to explore the multiverse, but again, I will uh, concede the Marvel <laughs> universe for all their. Billions they're of dollars they're making
1: everybody.
3: a lot of money. That's for sure. I don't. Uh, Jesse, a, we have a. Uh, there's a Larry. There's here's our chance for our obligatory Larry Niven moment. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, we, like a somehow, drinking game. whatever, it is like a drinking game. What for whatever reason, like it's so weird that Larry Niven, who is like a pretty good science fiction writer, surfaces all these times. Uh, there's a there's a short story of his called "All the Myriad Ways," which is mm. about. I think it's set in. I don't know it's probably set in the '60s or '70s, kind of when Niven is writing. But like a discovery of like parallel universes has been made, and all that it results in is like a huge rash of suicides, um, because everybody is sort of like, "Oh, well, I'm like living somewhere else." So and like the the sort of recurring theme of the story is is why not? And it's mm. like I remember reading it when I was. This is the problem when your like dad is a like hard sci-fi expert, like reader and you just like grab the books that's on a shelf. And I remember reading it when I was like 13 and being like, Oh my God, (laughs) this is is not suitable reading for a 13 year old. But
1: yeah, the other, the last time you also reached for a sort of Larry Niven short story was also very bleak uh, about like having about like 12 hours left to live and figuring out what to do or how to survive a supernova or something like that.
3: I mean, there's this period of sci-fi when like all the ideas were kind of like basic. And I think we're at this stage of like speculative fiction where people are starting to ask much more interesting questions.
1: And, And the horror, I mean, I know enough of this book too to know that Kara, she's fascinated with a world in which she's not dead and where her version of her is actually doing very well and is very successful and it sort of reminds you you know like maybe of that college classmate who's a lot more successful than you even though you thought you were maybe the smarter person in whatever class you took together or something like like the horror of what might have been and what might have been available to you if only you had been a little bit smarter or more energetic um I, I, I think Ariane is like the best possible version of Ariane at a no. young age uh, no. i'm, just, I'm <laughs> just trying to imagine that's like, that's like
3: i oh i would be
2: i would be way more put together but um this does or at least like the privilege part or like the successful part of it even though it doesn't have multiverses in it um Something y'all said earlier reminded me of this newer book called Goliath by Tochi um, Onyabuchi. And that book is the opposite where, like, Earth has become inhabitable and people who have the money have, like, left to, like, colonize, like, Mars and stuff. Like, they're, Mm. like, colonizing other places. And so here on Earth there's, like, You have to like live in a bubble to be able to breathe like you need like space because like it's so like climate change has like made it so bad that the people who had money was like, peace out. I'm living someplace else. So it's kind of like the opposite.
3: Let's uh, let's uh, shift over to Ariane's book. Um, So you've uh, you've recommended You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty by Akwekwe Amezi. Um, yes. Can you yeah, tell us a little bit About the book And uh, tell us why you are recommending This as a summary
2: Yes and so I Triple checked the um, Summary to make sure that I'm not Giving out any spoilers Okay <laughs> um, But our main character Faye um, She Has experienced some grief Pretty young in her life She's in her 20s Um, but with this grief, she's trying to like figure out love and what that means for her. But she's like really hurting and she meets this guy. He's pretty cool. You know, should he be her boyfriend? She doesn't really know. He's really nice though. And she goes to visit him, um, you know, on this beautiful Island that he's from and she meets his dad. She's like, whew. That man is fine, okay? And that is going to be a problem. Mm. And most of the book is about this problem.
1: That's a variation (laughs) on the, like, go to the island that I don't think I've ever heard of before in, in, Mm -hmm. in the romance genre. It's new.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I like but I how... had to
2: double check cuz I was like I don't want I don't want to spoil that <laughs> so part. We don't know what
1: we don't know what happens with the dad, but we know that yeah, he, yeah. she is intrigued by the dad.
2: She's intrigued by this by this older gentleman.
1: And the, but the book does have a certain amount like the book has a certain amount of sex a, 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 at least yes. Based...
2: <laughs> yes. yes. Right. Yes. It's a lot it's a lot of people having a lot of sex in this book. Yep. Yeah. Um And I think, though, like it's one of the things I like about it, right? Like I think it like sometimes you need a book to like snap you out of your prudeness, you know, (laughs) to be like, okay, Mm -hmm. all right. That's what we're reading, you know. And so sometimes I really like a good steamy read every now and then Um, because it also makes me think about like just how we interact with each other. And I think that one thing I really like about this particular book is that it's really non-traditional in how it approaches relationships. So you know, if you're reading older romance novels, it's like there's a man and there's a woman, right? Maybe there's another man or another woman and there's like a triangle and then you know, you're you're confused. Then newer books, people started introducing like gay and queer characters, but it'll be like very textbook, like this is how this gay person is, right? And I especially, you know, like I know that I am not a young person anymore, but like somebody Faye's age especially, I think that they don't necessarily view sex and gender in the same way that older people and older generations have and so a lot of people are like I am attracted to people I'm attracted to personalities I'm attracted to more than one thing and I think that this book approaches it as if that's normal and it doesn't make it be a thing, you know? So mm-hmm. like, for example, there's a male character and he has nail polishes on, nail polish on. Well, for one, that could mean anything. It could just mean that he likes nail polish. But it's like, they don't make it a thing like, well, the man had nail polish on <laughs> right. And, you know, normally men would, you know, they don't, they don't <laughs> make it a thing, right? It's just that like, if you create a character, have the, create, the character be themselves and just let whatever play out that's going to play out. And so it, feels more real life in that way where it is complicated sometimes. It is messy sometimes, right? Um, And so I think that there is no, this is the gay best friend. This is the (laughs) so-and-so, right? Like, you know, like those kind of traditional tropes that are easy to fall into when you are trying to, like, expand past what those traditional romance novels are. And I was, you know, so I was reading, I was like, wow, this is really different because I love a steamy novel. And I was like, this one really pushes the boundaries in some fun ways.
3: Yeah, I was, as I was reading it, like, you know i mean first of all like i didn't know it was a romance novel when i started and then i very quickly
1: knew it was a romance
2: novel <laughs> i didn't either cuz i didn't read i didn't read the summary i just liked yeah. the title like like in
3: the there's like this moment where
1: you like you figure it out
3: right flip the book over and you're like what <laughs> does it say romance novel and you're like no it's just mm-hmm. literature but i mean like what you're saying you know what what she what they're doing is like in in a lot of in a lot of like traditional like novels and storytelling, like all the obstacles are what are there to like evince the character's personality. And what Ameze is doing, seems to be doing in this book, is using the sex as a way to evince the development of Fei in a way that's just totally, it's so frank. It's so wonderfully like sex positive and like, and very, um, it's like you said it's not making a point about the sex that's just part of the landscape and you know her best friend her best friend is gay but isn't drawn in any of the ways that we usually associate the gay best Mm -hmm, friend character mm -hmm, she sort mm -hmm. of pushes straight past the tropes because you know one of the big questions of the romance novel is like are they gonna do it and Mm -hmm. like right away you're like oh they're doing it (laughs) like Mm -hmm, right now
2: mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, but what does that mean? And honestly, there's a lot of tension between two of the characters where they have not had any sex, Mm -hmm. but they've had all of these intimate moments Mm. that have drawn them together. And like that is the most tense thing. Right. You know, when people talk about like Bridgerton, for example, you know, when the I think that was the second season of Bridgerton that everybody. I don't want to say everybody, but people complain that there was not enough sex in that (laughs) second season because what really was like, I think a lot of the tension there was like the, he loves her, but he hates her, but he really loves her. And it's like this tension. It's like, you drive me crazy type back and forth. And that's what people really went crazy for. And so I think that it just, it's just a reminder that like, there are other forms of intimacy outside of sex. So it's kind of like, it's very sex positive because Mm -hmm. it shows that like, you can have sex that means something. You can have sex that doesn't mean anything in that way, but that you wanted to have it and you had it. But then also there are other ways to create intimacy. So that's also like a different way versus like, I think sometimes a romance novel leans very heavily on, sex um early like kind of like midpoint and then it's Mm -hmm. like some fake barrier pops up like i can't believe you didn't tell me that you were moving to dc and i am here (laughs) in la and and, you know and then they have and they eventually make up and everything's fine right there's gonna be an airport
1: or train station in that particular scenario
2: exactly but they've already had sex so they need Some other type of drama because...
1: You got to raise it somehow. Raise the stakes up by putting something artificial in between them.
2: Exactly. Versus like, you know, you can go really far in storytelling without even having sex if that's not you know what happened so I think it's just I I really love that and I think even like the idea I was surprised at how much grief played out in this book so you know Faye is an artist and she really kind of infuses grief in a way that is very interesting Um, and open and kind of also like cracks her open vulnerably. So she's like working on this art and being like very vulnerable at the same time that she's being put in these really vulnerable situations. And so like the juxtaposition of that for me was really, really like, that's when I was like, oh wow, I can't put this book down. Um, so yeah, it just did something to me and I do love steamy books, but it was like, this was more than just a good steamy read.
3: Yeah, totally. Like there's, there's a moment in the second or third chapter when just, it's just like not even a throwaway sentence, but she's like, she wondered if she would have thought about this, if she wasn't thinking about broken glass and lilacs or something. It's just like Mm. a beautiful moment of like, you know, the visuals of the crash. They do such a marvelous job of, it's, it's such a tasteful book because Mm. like you're saying, the sex part about it isn't the important part. The important part is the connection and the emotions. And yeah. it's just such a great way to kind of be like, oh, you think you're here for sex. You're actually here for intimacy.
2: Exactly. Cause like the first couple pages, you might think this is some fifty shades of gray or something. And it is totally not that. It is, it is, it is very relationship based. Like, um, how people are. And I also really love books where, like, nobody is a villain. Like, nobody yeah. is a pure villain in this book. You know, people do some bad things. Sometimes people um, argue, which is also something that I am starting to find. Like, I was telling my therapist, actually, like, like I was like, I'll get really upset because, like, the last couple years, if, like, a relationship or a romantic relationship doesn't work out, I get maybe upset maybe I'm disappointed I'm like but surprisingly I'm not angry anymore like I used to maybe would be angry I was like but I'm not really angry because usually I'm like people were just doing the best that they could and with whatever they had in whatever situation that they were and I'm not really mad at it like I'm disappointed but I'm not mad I felt like this book kind of rounded that out where people would mm. do something. And I'm like, how dare you say that? But then, you know, it was very careful not to paint someone as just an evil person, even if they were hurt or upset.
1: That is, I mean, it's not that I read a lot of romance, but I've read some. And you know, if I think about Jane Austen, usually there's like the good guy and the bad yeah. guy. And the yeah, plot is always some version of she's attracted to the bad guy and then <sighs> figures out, it should be the good guy, and, yeah, especially and, in
2: a rom com, right? Like in you know, yeah, it has to be. It has to be that they're or like you know, she got back with the ex, but the ex was a bad person. Like I just <laughs> saw. I mean, this is this is totally different. But like even I saw The Little Mermaid over the weekend, but it just reminded me it? of like the point. It was amazing, All but right. it reminds me of the point where. Prince Eric, you know, Ursula has turned into this beautiful woman and is tricking Prince Eric. To think that that is that the beautiful voice was coming from her, and so, but the she kind of looks evil, right? And you're like, ah, don't date that evil woman. <laughs> She's You're looks supposed evil. to be with Ariel, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like always like that. Even if the person isn't like an actual sea witch or octopus, <laughs> they are like the evil woman or man. So sometimes it's the it's the um ex. Right. That pops back up into the picture. And then it's like, you're not supposed to be with that. And then somebody's best friend was like, you need to go after him or her. Like <laughs> That's that's your right. And then that's when you have the big scene. Um, and so it's just it's just always it has to be generally like a bad person. You know, yeah, And this yeah. does not have any bad people and you don't want anybody to get hurt. Um, it- but life is messy and people's feelings get hurt.
1: It feels like a lot of the movies I'm familiar with, It feel like it, yeah, it's often like the wrong guy is a sort of like rich but shallow, you know, as opposed to being yeah. like an octopus sea witch. But, um, yeah. but still, it's always, it's like uh, Rob Lowe in Wayne's World, which was a very important movie when I was a teenager, too, you know, the, the, his character. Or um, Bill Pullman in, how uh, uh, was it, uh, Sleepless in Seattle? I think so. Um, I don't you know. Remember. Although he's actually, that guy, I don't know if you remember that movie, he, he also, he is sort of an okay guy, just the wrong one for Meg Ryan, as I recall. It has, it has that complexity. The thing I'm thinking about now as you're talking, too, is I realize, like, the thing I really admire, and i actually not thinking of very many books that do this well, I can think of some movies uh, maybe because you rely on actors and you rely on visuals is really create the sense of realistic attraction between two people
2: mm-hmm.
1: without sex. Uh, like I, I remember, I watched uh, Witness, the Harrison Ford film from the nineteen eighties with Kelly McGillis, who who Chris has uh, obscure connection with. Uh, shares, shares an acting credit with, I believe. Um, me too, yeah. Uh, and Kelly McGillis is an Amish woman and Harrison Ford is a non-Amish man and they're in the same place. And there's this like romance and tension between them that grows and builds and builds and builds. And it, to me, it feels like very real and very steamy. And it's almost like a letdown when that is sort of like realize you know like the 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 build is kind of what makes it great you know and it and that that does feel very realistic and you sort of feel like oh if i were in that moment i would you know like totally relate to what these characters are feeling right now and i think that's actually really hard to do in a book i think a lot of times you have romance in a book you often there's some sort of hint that one character has a crush on the other or it's just sort of like i don't know you're just you're just meant to accept it so when it's actually convincing and you buy it and you feel like you can relate to what that character is feeling even if maybe you wouldn't feel the same way or maybe you would or even if it's maybe like quote unquote wrong person to feel that way about or maybe it is the wrong person and you know all of that is like really crafty if it's done well. Ari is there a
3: particular reason this book speaks to you as a summer read?
2: I think because I think that summer is where you want to have a little Fun. A little steaminess? you know? Yeah, you know, I think about romance in the summer, like um, whether it is serious or not. Or even if, you know, you're a person in a relationship, like a fun, steamy vacation or like a fun date night. Like, I just always think about summer. Like, it's something about when the weather, I think because we live in Chicago and it's kind of cold. And in the wintertime, I think most people kind of hibernate during the winter like we put on a whole bunch of sweats and we layer up and we stay inside right and then as soon as that weather starts to break people are like i got my outfits i got my like i immediately was like oh i got date night dresses okay this is a date night dress this is a date night dress i ain't got no dates lined up but i got the dresses for whenever that happens right so, so i think that
0: hot girl summer hot girl book. i got
2: the hot girl summer dresses for the hot girl book <laughs> yes So I think that's why I really just kind of feels and and there are fun like, you know, even with the grief parts, I think it's still fun. Like there's still fun feelings and, you know, the feeling of. You know, when you really like somebody and they give you butterflies, like that's yeah. a fun feeling. <laughs> and I mean, the goal, yeah. of course, is to be with somebody who still gives you those butterflies. So it's not like just for new people, but like, you know, it's just it's just a fun feeling. And it makes me feel like summertime.
1: Nice. great yeah. answer. The summer, no, in the summer even sort of like it gets you halfway to those butterflies, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can just be in the mood. Although there's also the like summer, like beach bot anxiety too. Like I always do a bunch of uh, sprints and crunches in, you know, May when I lived in Chicago. <laughs> trying, trying to get my promontory bot. Uh, point I mean, bod together. I
2: used to, but then like the summertime is just—you look up and you're like, "Well, it's here." And I—I yeah. I look like how I look, so let's just go with let's it. Just okay, go with it, like right. let's just roll. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and that person who's going to give you butterflies your whole life is not going to be someone who's judging you on their your. Beach exactly.
2: Body. Exactly. Because generally, you know, you might not think you look great, and then somebody will just say, "Wow, you look just so amazing," and then you're like, "It doesn't matter." <laughs> and then you're and then you're running because you feel happy like you're not even running because you you know you're just like out on the lakefront running right you're frolicking good morning hello oh how are you yes no i went on a date last night and someone told me i look beautiful yes oh hello hello yes hello everyone I saw
1: you with that kind of energy at WBEZ every once in a while. I feel like you I feel know, like you came into that building with that kind of frolicking energy. I, I, pro- I
2: probably had some good dates. I had some good dates during those years on occasion.
1: Ari, I, I think you have a
2: reading. Is that right? Okay, I got a short one. Okay, yeah. Let's hear it. Faye avoided a limb for the next few days. The rest of their walk back to the house hadn't been awkward, But once Faye was alone in her room, under the beating pulse of her shower, she had burst into tears. It hurt the way Elim had pulled away from her at the peak, closing himself off. She kept remembering how quickly he'd scrambled to his feet, like she was something he shouldn't have been touching. And even though that was technically true, it still made Faye feel like shit. It's a good one. I want to read that book. Yeah. I'm a sensei.
0: That's, the,
1: my list that's now. the dad, right? She's referring to the, yep. the dad yep. of the, yeah. Yeah. So the dad's playing hard to get a little bit. He's he's not, or maybe he's just not sure. Well, he's how trying he's he trying to
2: it. he trying to respect, you know, because he, yeah. he like I don't want yeah. her my son, you know. Yeah, yeah. He you like, can't he's like not play hard to get when you're the it. dad, right?
1: You're just, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Good
2: just you just you just got to not, right? He's
1: being respectful <laughs> of the of the the regular boundaries in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, we, so we actually um, one of the things we like to do is trivia. And Chris and I both prepped trivia questions for this one, um, which I guess what we'll do. Normally, we quiz each other, but I think in this case, we should just throw the trivia out to everybody, and everybody okay. can guess. It's not worth anything; like, you don't get any, uh, you don't get any prize or anything like that. So it's just bragging so rights. Is-
0: that's good, really good. I'm,
1: I'm not going
3: to win. So that's fine. So, Akwekwe um, Meze has said that they think of themselves as an Ogbanje. I'm sure I'm butchering that pronunciation, uh, which are believed to be spirits that plague families with misfortune. Uh, and so, I am, I'm looking for the literal translation of the term Ogbanje. It's a multiple choice. So, here are your three choices of the literal translation. The literal translation of the term means A, a woman who guards the entrance to another world, B, the cause of death on earth, or C, children who come and go. Okay, we have all three of our answers. Um, Ari has picked A uh the uh, a woman who guards the entrance to another world and both Susie and jesse have picked children who come and go
2: which i think is cor- right
3: and the correct answer is c uh See? children who come
1: and go <laughs> we, we low expectation did we we worked the low expectation. okay After you guys i, have, it, I, uh, like, I don't think yeah. You guys have
3: jumped out to an early lead. Uh, Susie and Jesse are, have one, and Chris and
1: Ari have zero. Well, I'm not going to guess in the next one, so I'm only going to have one total. But uh, mine was yes, the, also... The hosts
3: can only possibly perhaps tie. <laughs> and what's a tie like, Jesse?
1: Oh, a tie is like kissing your sister. There you go. <laughs> I also picked a trivia question that was inspired by uh, you made a fool of death with your beauty. And actually, Ariane, you alluded perfectly. This, the uh, the plot synopsis, I can tell that it's like a pretty heavy book about identity and about sort of figuring out, somebody figuring out who they are after a tragedy, making sense of that. But it does have that kind of structure you were alluding earlier of a woman whose maybe initial relationship or marriage hasn't gone as well as they hoped, and maybe they're getting Mm -hmm. a little bit older, and then they Mm -hmm. like try to find themselves, and they go on a voyage of self-discovery, and they end up in a tropical locale and meet a stranger. Mm -hmm. The the, the outline reminded me of that kind of, a couple other books uh, in that genre. Um, And your question is, I'm gonna name three books, and your question is, in which of these books Which of these books does not have an important moment in which the protagonist meets a man from another country in a tropical locale and has sex? So it's the book in which that does not happen. Of these. these.
0: Specifically tropical?
1: Uh, A Tropical, or I should say tropical or a tropical-like setting. It might not typically be between the tropics, but the sort of climate we associate with tropical conditions. How about that? Uh, So is the book that does not have uh, Sex in the Tropics with a Stranger. A. How Stella Got Her Groove Back by Terry McMillan. B. Shirley Valentine, which is a play written by Willie Russell that they made into a movie. Or C. Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert. Or D. None of the above.
2: Okay, let me ask a quick question. And again, you said that, like, tr- if it's like vacation, does that count as tropical?
1: It, ha- it, it, it has Or does
2: it have to be like tropical, tropical?
1: It doesn't have to be literally the tropics, but a warm, a warm, sunny location.
2: Okay. And okay. if we were to
3: choose D, that means all of the books have the aforementioned uh, sex yes. in a warm, sunny location.
1: Yes. And I will just say, yeah. I'll just to, to make it clear the the thing that is in doubt in this case is the sex with the stranger. All of these books involve a woman going to such a location. So if you're familiar with one of the books and you're like, is that Mm -hmm. location a tropical location? The answer is yes. Uh, For for the sake of this quiz. It might not technically be, you know, between the two lines of tropic, but for the, it is a tropical like climate. It's a climatological term. (laughs) Okay. So it looks like you've all chatted me. All right. So... Uh, Arianne has chosen D, none of the above, meaning that all of the books have such a scene. Uh, Susie has also chatted me D, none of the above, meaning all of the books, and Chris has chatted me B, Shirley Valentine. Um, And the answer is, of course, none of the above. All of those books have a female protagonist going to a tropical location, (laughs) meeting a man often with a very interesting name like Winston Shakespeare or Mm -hmm, Costas Dimitriades, mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. or in the case of Elizabeth Gilbert, Brazilian businessman. I don't think she ever names him. Um, And that's nonfiction. All of those books do, in fact, feature that plot point.
2: Yeah, cuz that's what I was asking about. I was like, yeah. so, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, is she is she in the tropics, okay?
1: Well, they were so that part happened. I thought that part happened in um Oh, where does she meet the guy? Wasn't that in Indonesia that she meets the guy? I wasn't.
2: So I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember, so that's why I was like that could be, but when you said they're all hot, I said, "Okay, well, if yeah, I don't. Thing. I think
1: she meets him in Indonesia, which technically is the tropics, but it was definitely like on mm-hmm. her trip, and I believe. If I'm wrong that it was in a warm location, I apologize. Gotcha. But yeah, but, I
2: only but, remember. I only usually remember Italy, just because, like, you know, it's the videos of, or like the, she, the movie of Julia Roberts eating the pasta.
1: <laughs> yeah, so she ate the pasta, and then she went to India and meditated, mm-hmm. and then I think she went to Indonesia and met the guy. That's my yeah, recollection. Yeah, because I figure.
2: Eat. That's pray, the love
1: part. Love. 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 Yeah, yeah. Eat, pray, love in that order, right? Mm-hmm. Susie Ari, how do people who want to follow your work do so?
2: Um, I am everywhere at Ariane Nettles. A R I O N N E N E T T L E S. Really, really long. Too many ends, but it's me.
1: Everywhere, like all the every. Every po-
2: Everywhere, all the places.
1: Susie, how do how do uh, how do people follow uh, your work?
0: Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at s u s i e a n. I mean, I guess I'm on Twitter, but I'm not active on Twitter. But if you want to follow um, someone who rarely posts, I'm at s o o s i e o n, and that's it.
1: You could also check out Curious City or Shoes Off, which are podcasts. <laughs> in the world that somebody could listen to.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's also those things as well.
1: I recommend both of them. Uh, Listeners, thanks for listening. You can also follow us at uh, Upper Middle Pod on Twitter, Upper Middle Brow on Instagram, or you can follow the podcast at uppermiddlebrow.com on the plain old internet.
3: And Upper Middlebrow is a small point production. Chris Bag and Jesse Dukes are the creators and hosts, and we are the beach readers. This week's guests are Susie Ahn and Ariane Nettles. Music is by Ben Pajak and Jesse Dukes, design and website by me, Chris Bag. You can learn more about us at uppermiddlebrow.com. Thanks for listening everybody. And Susie and Ariane, thank you so much for joining us at Upper Middlebrow.
2: Thanks, for thank you. Us.
1: listeners, and there's a sound of summer. Summer on the way here in the Piedmont foothills of Virginia. I don't know if those are spring peepers or some kind of cricket-type insect, to be honest, but it's a sound that I associate with the, the late spring, early summer, the approach of the hot season. There's also a pool down the hill from where I'm staying. And I think what we're going to do is give you one more summer reading episode. We'd only planned on two, uh, but this was such a great discussion. Chris and I wanted to save our recommendations for each other and for you for a separate episode. And we got some wonderful voice memos uh, and other recommendations from some of you, our listeners, that we also want to share with everybody. Uh, So that's coming up pretty soon. So listen for that wherever you get upper middle brow, and thank you again. I'll leave you with a few more sounds of June. Unfortunately, it sounds like somebody's got a leaf blower or something going, my least favorite sound of June. I think that's a game of beach volleyball. That's not so bad. I believe that that was a red bellied woodpecker. Fuck you.